You're listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. The Hero of the Story helps you study and teach the story of redemption from all Scripture. Now join your hosts, Aaron Armstrong and Brian Dembozik. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Hero of the Story. I'm Aaron, and with me, of course, is Brian. Brian, how are you doing? Well, technically, we're not with each other right now. That's true. That's true. I am in a different state, and yes. Brian is in Lifeway's offices. And uh, we are meeting together by the magic of technology. Yes. So we are virtually with one another. That's true. That's true. We are mediated. Our presence is mediated with one another, which is probably best sometimes. Yeah, I would agree. I'm not going to argue. You know, I've had a lot of coffee today, so um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Hopped up on Java. I like it. That's right. That's right. So I'm a little jittery. Um, I'm a little, you know, a little bouncy right now. Um, you know, I could probably use a mint, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, also meeting with us virtually is, uh, is our good friend, uh, Dan Darling. Dan is the VP of communications for the ethics and religious liberty commission of the Southern Baptist convention. Um, more simply known as the ERLC. He is also a discipleship path and um, the author of several books, including a brand new one called The Dignity Revolution. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to be on here with my favorite Canadian and also with Brian. <laughs> Fantastic. See, Brian, I get a favorite something. Well, I mean, there's only three of you Canadians, so it's not hard to be the favorite. <laughs> you mean here in the office? That's true. No, in general. <laughs> there's only three of us. Hmm. Well, no, because see, Dan met, met another one. I have met other Canadians. That's yeah. true. You met uh, you met my friend Adam, in fact, uh, recently. That's right. So, yes. um, so you know four now. So that's uh, that's pretty fantastic. And you know Paul. So you know most of the Christians at this point. Yeah, most of the Christians in Canada. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's a really small community, guys. It's it's rough. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Dan, thanks for joining us uh, for the show today. We're really excited to chat about the gospel and um, a little bit about the new book and, 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 how, and, and really how the gospel shapes our understanding of human dignity. Um, so, um, do you want to lead us off with a, just give us a, a little bit of insight into what motivated you to write the book? So, um, I, I've always... You know, you know, my entrance into thinking about um, human dignity was really just, uh, you know, the pro-life issues. You know, so for a long time, I've kind of been, an, you know, active on that issue. Uh, and I think one thing the pro-life movement has really done is, is focus our attention to say, hey, you know, the, the smallest among us, the most vulnerable, the most unprotected uh, baby, these are humans. These are human lives. Uh, but just, you know, in my study of the scriptures, being overwhelmed by um, the Bible's really rich vision for humanity, like one of, one of Christianity's best gifts that it gives to the world is human dignity. And in fact, um, even people who are not Christians acknowledge that. Um, so I think everybody universally has this sense uh, that people are important, right? I, there, there's like a, there's a visceral reaction whenever there's a, an act of violence or, 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 or people are uh, suffering in some way. Uh, 
we know that people matter, but we we can't quite articulate why. Well, the Bible gives just a really rich vision and says that people, humans, above the rest of creation, have a special dignity and worth. They um, have been stamped with the image of God. They reflect God in some way. And so I, I wanted to kind of explore that, what it means, what it doesn't mean, uh, how the the doctrine has been misunderstood throughout history, um, how sometimes when societies dehumanize certain people groups, that leads to, to violence and, and other things. But then also how it might shape the way we think about uh, issues in our world, uh, whether it's sort of issues of justice or issues um, that kind of swirl in the news, but also how we think about technology, how we think about sexuality, how we think about evangelism and, and all sorts of things. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think the, um, I think it's really important. I mean, I know that one of the big questions that, that certainly I, I've had and, and still have to some degree is really what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And um, like, are there, you know, are there limits on that? Is that something that is, can possibly be taken away? Mm. These, these kinds of, these kinds of things. And, and I know that there's been, there have been disagreements about that throughout mm-hmm. history, but they're very complicated at the same time. Yeah. Well, the, one of the things I say to, to respond to that, well, first of all, what, it, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Um, you know, <clears throat> when the Bible was written, this idea of, of having images of, of the ruler of the king was pretty common. So, um, you know, uh, rulers would who could not be present everywhere would set up images of themselves to be worshiped. Uh, even think in the book of Daniel where, um, he commanded that everyone bow down and worship his image, you know, cause he could not be ever present. So when the Bible talks about us being created in the image of God, it's saying that there's something about humans that, that in some way reflects God, some way represents God. And I think it has two meanings. I think it means one that humans are valuable uh, not because of their utility, not because of what they can do, mm-hmm. um, but because simply God says that they are and they, have, they, they bear his image. Secondly, though, it gives humans a responsibility. Uh, so there's like a, um, as, as Dr. John Kilner, who wrote, wrote a great academic work on this, says it, it kind of means reflection and connection. So we reflect God, but we also in some way connect to God. Um, it means we have responsibility. We are created with a purpose. Uh, and in that way, we image God. So whenever we, we do, we create, when we think, when we um, reason, when we subdue the earth and fulfill the creation mandate and, and, and initiate, those are all God-like uh, characteristics. However, our being in the image of God is not reduced to just that. And that's where sometimes people have made mistakes that sometimes looking at say like someone who's disabled or who does not have cognitive function and saying, well, they have less of the image of God. Um, that's actually a, a mistake because the Bible never says it. The Bible says like that every human being has the full stamp of the image of God and has value and worth. And we, we actually have to be careful because sometimes when we say, well, the image of God is marred because of sin or it's, um, sort of distorted in some way, the Bible actually doesn't say that. You, you see, even after the fall in 
Genesis chapter nine, where God says to Noah that, you know, not to kill because um, humans are created in the image of God. And then you go all the way up the book of James. Where James says, the way you talk about each other matters because you're created in the image of God. So you don't lose that even because of the fall. Now, what happens because of the fall is that um, two things. One, we we abandon our image-bearing purposes. So instead of living to glorify God, we we live to glorify ourselves. And part of the way we do that is we commit violence against other image bearers. Mm-hmm. You know, man has been finding new ways to hurt each other. Um, and so that, that's sort of what happens uh, because of the fall. But anyways, hopefully that's a kind of a long answer to your question. But Yeah, and that's, that's helpful stuff, Dan. And, you know, as I think about the image um, of God and its importance in, in the church today and that's all our culture, I, I, you know, I'm tracking with you in those two different lines. I think, one, this is something that we as a people of God have got to understand for our own identity. I, you know, the, the idea that our, our culture puts before us about this idea of self-worth that our, our worth is based on things that we do or are capable of, how smart we are, how attractive we are, how athletic we are, and so forth. I, I just, in my experience, especially being a father of three kids, being in church ministry, you just see um, how that really hurts people's proper understanding of our value before God and, and one another. And the other is, as you're intimating, is, you know, this is so vital for how we treat one another. Um, that, that this, this really destroys the isms in our culture today. Whatever mm-hmm. ism there is, they all die mm-hmm. at the hands of a proper understanding of the image of God. Yes, that's absolutely right, Brian. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head because it not only affects the way I see my neighbor, right? So I have to look, you know, I, every single human is creating the image of God. So that affects the way I see my neighbor, uh, that they're a full human being, um, even the people I disagree with, even the people that I don't like, uh, they're, they're full human. It has wide implications for that. Now, we can get into that a little bit later, but it also has implications for how we see ourselves. Um, that uh, I did a whole chapter in this book on, on exactly that. And one of the things that is interesting in the Bible is that you see a lot of talk about the image of God early in Genesis. And then you don't see much talk in the Old Testament about it, and it pivots to talking about idolatry. And, and so, and I think those two things are connected because rather than living as image bearers who reflect our creator, we are tempted to then worship um, the images we make with our own hands. And, 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 and that's kind of a form of self-worship. And we're tempted to actually worship ourselves. And one of the persistent lies in the culture is, and it always has been since Eden, is that we are better masters of our own faith than God is, that we, we know more about what's best for us than God does. And that just always leads to despair. But the good news is, is that our identity is not wrapped up in our work. It's not wrapped up in our, it's not, we're not the sum total of our temptations. So we're not, our identity is not in our sin problem. Our, our identity is in we're an image bearer of God. And what, what great news that is. Well, Dana, are there any uh, pieces of wisdom that, that you either included in your book or, or that you can think off as we discuss this about, you know, put yourself in that role of a, of a parent. And I know you are mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. as you are, are helping your kids understand what it means to be an image bearer and, and how mm-hmm. they can respond to 
our culture's pressure of self-worth and not just a parent, of course, this is be you as, as in ministry, uh, a church member or a neighbor, whoever, as, as we are wrestling with these tensions of, again, this constant bombardment of, I, I get my identity, I get my value based on these, these, uh, self-directed ways versus resting completely in bearing the image of God. What, yeah. what are some, that, what are some that's such that, a good, that, that's such a good, such a good question. Um, and it's so important for parents because, you know, we parents have a role in shaping the way our kids think about themselves and mm-hmm. think about the world. And I think we do this in two ways. One, when we think about their identity, um, helping our kids understand that they are loved and created by loving God, like they, their identity is based on the fact that they're an image bearer of God. And if they're believers that they are, you know, the gospel, the good news of the gospel essentially is that first of all, you've been alienated from the, your creator who created you by sin, but Jesus, who is the image of God, we're, we're after the image of, he is the express image of God. He came and he rescued us from sin and the, and death. And he reconciles us to our creator who made us in his image, who restores us to our image bearing purposes. So your identity is not in anything else. And, you know, for kids, they really need to understand that. But one of the ways we, we subtly dehumanize our kids without even realizing it is when we kind of send the message to them that we, we only love them when their grades are good, or we only love them when they're behaving well, uh, or, we only love them for their strengths and not their weaknesses. Yeah. And as parents, we've got to communicate the message that we love the whole person that God has made, that we love the whole child that God has made. Um, I also think we need to teach our kids that, that our bodies are good. You know, sometimes yes. we tend to over-spiritualize and act like our bodies don't matter, nothing matters, all that matters is the spiritual part. But, but God made us body and soul. Like Jesus came to earth bodily as a uh, human being. And that tells us that God thinks humans are good and bodies are good. So that's, that's very important when it comes to identity. When it comes to, we also need to teach our kids how to relate to their siblings, how to relate to other people, right? So they, they all not only need to think of themselves as bearing the image of God, but also their brothers and sisters, their parents and their friends. And so it's easy, you know, even when they're fighting or they're name calling or like they're hurting people or they're tempted to do that. Like whenever you strike out at, at another person, you're striking out an image bearer of God. And I think it's really important now, it, you know, I've talked about this so much in the last couple of years as I'm working on this project that like my kids have heard it a lot. So I'll even hear my kids now say, you know, like one of my kids will say, man, I'm so stupid. And my other kid will say, no, you're not. You're creating the image of God. You're not stupid. Um, uh, but I think it's important for them to know that and to know that everybody around them is an image bearer as well. So talking about it in that perspective uh, is super helpful. And now one of the things that um, there's also the implication of is, is how we think about, so we, it's really easy for us to, to think about it almost in a, in a general perspective of, yes, we're all like, we're all, people, our neighbors are, are image bearers of God and, you know, and this kind of thing. And there's a degree to which we can, we can take that and we can just leave it in the abstract. Uh, 
But um, the gospel calls us to something more than that. And, and that's something that I know that you're particularly passionate about, Dan. I know, Brian, you, you and I, we are as well. Um, how do we... How do we see the gospel impact or, or, or start to change not just our abstract understanding of this, but really, and um, go deeper with it, particularly with, uh, with people who may not look like us, mm. talk like us, yeah. um, act like we do, live in the same, have, the, have a similar kind of lifestyle or, or, or what have you. Yeah, that's such a good question. I think our, our, our temptation always is to look at, at underneath all of our temptations to either ignore the needs of people who are who we can help, or to sort of marginalize people. Is is our rationalization and uh, considering them less than human? We would never say that, but that's kind of what we're saying. Um, and this is, I, I think, most vividly in the example of when. You know, Jesus is is repeating the the command that's given by God throughout Scripture to love your neighbors yourself. And the religious leaders who knew the Scriptures ask him, well, well who's my neighbor? And they weren't asking because they were genuinely curious. They were asking because they were looking for loopholes. Like, surely this does not mean these people or those people, right? Like, who exactly is my neighbor, right? I don't. It doesn't apply to this or that. So instead of answering them, he says, well, let me tell you a story. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's the interesting thing about the Good Samaritan. Here's a, here's a needy person on the side of the road. The priest and the Levite walk by. Um, and they can walk by because they, they can kind of pretend not to see him. And it, it, they can, in some ways, um, see him as less than human. Like, they were working out rationalizations in their mind. Like, yeah, he's probably not my neighbor. Um, and, and this is what we do. Like we, we tend to marginalize people because we don't see their humanity or we don't want to see, we don't want to see it. Uh, we look for loopholes uh, to love. So certainly this group or that group, this doesn't apply to. Uh, but when we see people as fully human and fully bearing the image of God, it really disrupts our lives, it disrupts our politics, it disrupts everything that we do and we think about. And Jesus is saying, your neighbor is the person you're most likely to to pass by. That's your neighbor. <laughs> and that, that has powerful implications, I think. Yeah, Dan, I, you know, I think, um, you know, what you're just talking about there and a, and a few minutes ago, you talked about how we can't minimize our bodies that, you know, as we talk with our kids and others that, that God created us and, and our bodies are part of that. You know, it just seems like as, as I look through scripture, you see this problem again and again, and we see it in, in our culture today, of course, because I think it's been pervasive throughout because it's hinged on this, this deep sin in us about selfishness and self-centeredness. It's like, all right, I, I'm going to ascribe worth based on what looks and acts closest to me. Mm. And so if you differ from that, if you look different, if you have a different amount of melanin in your skin, or if you're a different gender, or if you speak uh, a different language or have an accent or whatever the case may be, then you're not as, of, as much worth as me. 
Um, and so therefore mm -hmm. I'm not going to see you as the full image bearer that you are because I'm using these externals to define you. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's hard. It's a hard thing for us as we, as we're talking about this, as we're teaching about this to make sure people understand that, Hey, look, God has created us in our entirety and we don't just look past these differences. We, we need to celebrate them uh, because they're part of God's design, but we can never lose sight of this, this basic overarching idea and truth that everybody is of equal worth, period, because of that image that mm -hmm. is within us. Man, that is so good, Brian. That's like, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, um, ultimately, it's just, subtle dehumanization you know yeah. it's it's that person is is less human than me and this is what's happened since the fall like yeah. um sin sin causes us to to strike out at god uh by striking out against our fellow image bearers this is why so often in the bible the, the, the bible says you demonstrate how you love god by how you treat your neighbor first john says that like don't first john is you know you know, John by this time is an aging apostle and he's like saying, I'm not having any of this. Like you love God, but you hate your neighbor stuff. He's like that. that just doesn't work. Like uh, because your neighbor's an image bearer, you, you, you love him because you love God. And um, I think it's just really important for us to, to consider that and, yeah. you know, connecting it to uh, the gospel, like Jesus in many ways uh, uh, restores our image bearing purposes, which is to do the good works, which he calls to do bef beforehand that um, he restores. And so if we are members of, of Christ's kingdom, one of the ways we show that the kingdom is dawned in Christ is the way that we go out of our way to, to um, help the vulnerable. Uh, yeah. And this is why Jesus says like the kingdom of God um, it, it's so upside down in terms of the way we think of power because the kingdom of God is made up of the weak and the vulnerable. Um, you, you think about um, what Paul says that uh, God uses the weak to confound the wise. Um, and it, it's just so, so the church actually should model this more than anybody else. Like yeah. the church says that the weakest member of our congregation, you know, we have someone in our church right now who has severe dementia, who doesn't even remember his wife's name. He comes every week, he worships, he takes communion. He, you know, he can't lead a small group. He can't, he can't do a lot of things. The gospel says that that person is as valuable member of our church is that young, vibrant seminary student who is omnicompetent and can do all these things. You're like, that's, that's what the gospel says. Like that person is as fully human. That person, the shut-in in the nursing home is as fully human as the kids in our youth group. That's what human dignity says. Yeah, I just hope that, um, you know, our friends listening in and, and, and others will just kind of understand how critical this is to the gospel, that, that we are not talking about an issue, as you were just mentioning, Dan, that is kind of, you know, secondary or as you were talking a second ago um that you know matthew 25 is where jesus talks about separating the sheep from the goats and it's fascinating there that that the reasons he gives is their works their good works toward others feeding clothing and visiting and so forth now 
we know that, that Jesus is a perfect theologian, and so he was not suggesting that, that salvation is by works. The sheep and goats had already been separated. It is just bearing out the proof that they had trusted in him and that they'd respond to the gospel. That proof is a life lived differently through good works. And the absence of good works is akin to committing evil, um, mm. deserving of eternal condemnation. Mm. So, I, you know, my heart is as, as the church, as we are sitting in a, in a culture today that is going haywire, mm. uh, as we are sitting in a culture that is, that is, it seems like reverting in many ways when it comes to reconciliation of, of, of ethnicities, when, when we see the Me Too movement, and, mm. and, and the posture of the church cannot be one of sitting back and letting everything unfold and just saying, well, we're just going to throw gospel tracts at people. Right. You know, these are areas we have got to engage because the gospel mandates that we do. Yeah, that, dude, that is so right. I mean, this is why I really hope the church recovers a fully robust view of human dignity because when the church does when the church understands this it's the church at its best think about this you know throughout throughout church history the church has not been perfect or that you know has sometimes has been either blind or complicit in some awful things where they you know we de- dehumanize yeah. old class of people when it comes to uh uh the chattel slavery here in our country and otherwise but when the church gets it right the church is the one that is among the the poor and the marginalized the church is uh, creating hospitals and the church is speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves who have no voice Um, when we get this right the church should be this like otherworldly community that people don't understand what we believe but these are the people that stay in there with with the orphans and the widows. These are the people that stay with the sick. Uh, these are the people that answer the question of what does it really mean to be human? You know, that, that may actually be the question that people are asking the most yeah. today is like, what does it actually mean to be human? Like, what does that mean? And, and we are poised to answer that question in a way that is as relevant as it's ever been. Uh, and so I think, I think you're exactly right. Like if we can recover this, idea of human dignity it, it, it will disrupt our politics more importantly it can really help position the church to to, to um, embody the kingdom of god and it i also think it connects the two things that we also often think are warring we often think that you either have to have gospel proclamation on the one hand or sort of the implications of the gospel with you know yeah. acts of service and those two things are just like mm-hmm. united in christ i mean um and they're united in this idea of human dignity because if we believe that people are creating the image of God, the best news you can give someone is that you've been created by a creator who loves you and, and created his image, and God in Christ has reconciled you to that creator. That's yeah. the best news we can give that person. But then also demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like by serving the least of these. I mean, uh, I, I really, I'm really passionate about that. Had only somebody written a book of the Bible talking about this you know maybe we could have called it james or something like that that had only that yes. happened Ooh, there you go yeah yeah absolutely brian, and brian you had to bring the bible into this didn't you <laughs> wait that's a good thing that's a good thing never mind no <laughs> listening to this i i've really appreciated hearing this because um you know both of your hearts on this this issue because um I think one of the things that it speaks to is the fact that recovering 
um, a really a, a gospel saturated, gospel oriented, gospel centered, whatever language you want to use on this view of human dignity and the image of God, this is hard because it's going to fight against um, ingrained temptations um, or things that we've, that we've just assumed or we've been, we've been explicitly taught in some cases or have explicitly taught in other cases um, about the difference between, between the two that, you know, if we have to prioritize one or the other, you know, all this, all this kind of stuff, or that, you know, speaking too much about the gospel and the implications of the gospel in this area, you know, means that we're on a, on a dangerous trajectory. Um, I'm sure we've all seen a watch blog or two that has uh, suggested that about some people that we know, but, um, um, or work with, but, um, <laughs> yes. but the, um, but I mean, the reality here is, is that this, this has to challenge us and that a big piece of, of starting to recover a gospel oriented view of the image of God is humility yeah. that we have to admit that there's a possibility that we've gotten it wrong and that we start with that and we go from there um, that we want to, that we want to have a posture of listening to other people. One of the things that was, I think for me, that was really, really helpful was here was actually the very first um, trip I ever took to the developing world. Um, because what I did there was um, I actually got to meet people who were not like me at all, but were, um, but they were like me in all of the most important ways that I got to, that I got to be in the houses of people who objectively lived at a much lower standard of living than, than I did at that time. And, um, and for context, um, you know, we lived around Canada's poverty line at that point, but these were people who comparatively made us look rich monetarily. Um, but they were so generous in, in spirit and they were so kind and they were just, they were just people, you know, and that's something that is, is really helpful for us to remember is that regardless of, of circumstantial, uh, circumstances, um, that we have the opportunity to see people as what they are, which is people first. Yeah. That's really good. And I think, I think at the beginning, I think the, 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 that starts with, with understanding like what Peter says in first Peter, that we're, we're sojourners and strangers and, you know, being a sojourner and stranger means that we, we live for another King, another kingdom. It means that we should never feel totally at home in any earthling movement. And so look, we have to, we have to make voting decisions and we, we should join institutions, even political parties, you know, to, to try to um, help the common good and, and care that our neighbors flourish and enact policies we think that are best for, for the flourishing of our neighbors uh, who are made in the image of God. But we should never feel totally at home 
in any movement. If we feel completely at home in the Republican Party or in the Democratic Party, or if you're, uh, you know, in some other country, in some other party, um, you might agree with some things, but you should always have a kind of a sense of alienation in a sense that, you know, uh, as a Christian, there's some things here I can't abide. Some things here that cut against my Christian faith. If we do feel at home, uh, it could be that we've been catechized and formed not by scripture and not by our identity as, uh, as a Christian, but, but by our tribe and by uh, our political party. And I think that's where it begins with, uh, you know, the gospel disrupts our allegiances. It disrupts our lives and it kind of forces us uh, into places we didn't think we would be. So I think that's where it starts. I think that's a, a great word, Dan. And, and I think it's a good place for us to, to wrap up for today. Um, Dan, really appreciate you being on the podcast today and sharing. And uh, again, why don't, you, uh, why don't you just tell people how they can connect with you, um, uh, where they can find your book. Uh, and also you, you talk a little bit about your podcast. So if they want to listen to that. Well, uh, I think the best thing to do is you can, uh, you can order my book anywhere books are sold. Uh, because it's a Lifeway podcast, I'm going to tell you that you can get my book at Lifeway bookstores. It should be, <laughs> uh, it, it will be in bookstores. I'm excited about that. Um, you can go to my website, DanielDarling.com, for more information about it. And you can also subscribe to my podcast, The Way Home Podcast, uh, in iTunes. Um, and uh, go to ERLC.com, where I have some articles and things on this subject as well. Sounds good. Dan, really appreciate your work with the RLC. Really appreciate uh, this book and, and your time. So thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, and guys. Great questions. This was awesome. Yeah, okay. glad to have you on. Yeah, glad to have you on. And uh, we will hopefully have you on down the road again sometime. Absolutely. I'd love to. Love All that. right, guys. Well, again, thanks for joining us, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project a family of resources revealing how all scripture gives testimony to Jesus. Learn more at gospelproject.com.